Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Okay, friends, I think the angels are seriously partying tonight. Amen? Oh, that doesn't sound like you know what I'm talking about. Gosh, the angels are partying, amen? Amen. Amen. I think the angels are really partying, right? Over one sinner who repents and 99 righteous who have no need of repentance. Oh, it's good. The angels are partying. I love it. All right. It's just really good. All right. So today's the Feast of St. Charles Borromeo. So a real quick word about him that uh, he was a great reformer of the clergy, a great reformer of the church, and uh, he wanted priests to know, to know like in the biblical sense of knowing that we've been talking about all week, he wanted his priests, he wanted clergy to know the heart of God and to minister from that place. In the office of readings this morning, there's a beautiful reflection from St. Charles where he's, he's giving advice to priests, his, brother, his brothers in the, in the clergy, about, um, about how to keep alive that intimacy. He has this great image of a spark. He's like, if you have a spark that's the love of God, you keep it protected in the stove by keeping the door closed. In other words, you've got to guard the intimacy. You've got to guard the intimacy. Um, I hear that as a priest, and you should hear that as lay faithful, as like there's, it is so important to guard our intimacy with the Lord. The Catechism has this great line about prayer that says, we cannot pray at all times unless we pray at specific times, which is so true. It's just good, just ca- like psychological advice, right? That like we have to, whether it's like an actual appointment that we put in our Google Calendar, like I have in my phone, like we have to be intentional about guarding that intimacy, because um, without that, we'll, we'll, we're lost. Without that, we're lost. You know, it's that intimacy that it's the ground that like that is going to be the thing that's going to change everything. We think that the challenges in our in the church today, whether it's you know what we see in the clergy, we think that challenges today are bad, and they, they are. There's a, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. You know, like. This theological time bomb that we've been soaking in all week, how do you soak in a time bomb? I'm not sure. I'm mixing my metaphors. That we've been getting blown up by? I don't like that. <laughs> we've been soaking in the tub with the bath and body works and the candles. Okay, so like George Weigel didn't write that <laughs> metaphor. Anyway, we've been soaking. And uh, like I just think that that's not yet reached into the heart of um, bishops and brother priests and deacons. I just think it's just not there yet. Um, it's going to be there. The Lord's doing a thing. It's going to happen, but it's, it's not quite there yet. And I think we look at what's going on. We think of what we're learning. We're like, oh, gosh, it's just so hard. If only people knew this. Well, like, look at, listen, I want to read this to you. This is what was going on in uh, St. Charles Borromeo's day. This is just a, just a little snippet. A biographer was writing about him. This is what he had to say. As might be expected, Charles encountered determined opposition to his program of reform. His aunts in Dominican convents treated the introduction of grills as a personal insult. More seriously, the canons of one church slammed the door in his face to prevent him from making a visitation, and their servants fired gunshots at him, (laughs) damaging damaging the crucifix he was wearing. And the members of a rich and corrupt order of monks were so opposed to being reformed that one of them dressed as a layman joined Charles' household at evening prayer and shot him point-blank with a gun. 
The assassin's bullet did not penetrate Charles' clothing. I don't know, like a rubber gun? I don't know what he did. Anyway. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> two, years, two years later, the Pope had to suppress the order and distribute its assets. A sad end to an order that had done so much good and produced many saints in its 350-year history. I think that's hilarious. That this order was so opposed to being reformed, they sent someone in dressed as a layman to assassinate him. Okay, that's tough. That's t those are tough days, right? We're not quite dealing with that, that I'm aware of, but like, <laughs> the challenges are real. The challenges are real. The way forward, the way forward is the same today as it was then, as it was for the apostles. It's, it's deep intimacy. It's the word we've been just, we've just been returning to this whole week. We don't need more strategies. Oh, please Lord. We don't need more committees. We don't need more strategic plans. Oh, we don't need that. We don't need more strategies. We don't need more committees. We don't need more plans. We need people to meet the Lord. We need people, we, have, we need disciples. We need people who have encountered the living Jesus, who is the living mercy, and who are stunned and overwhelmed by the like, utter gratuity of his heart. Right? Being a Christian, Pope Benedict said, is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the result of an encounter with a person who gives life a decisive horizon and direction, a new one, right? Like, that's what a Christian is. We have so many people who call themselves Christians who have never met him. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem. That is the problem. We don't need more strategies or committees. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Oh, now you're awake. Okay. We need people to encounter this God who runs to sinners. We need people... We need to continuously encounter this God who runs to sinners. We need to be the first to be evangelized. Our God runs to sinners. Our God rushes to sinners. He rushes towards sinners. Like the spiritual life is not a mighty work of attracting God's love. The spiritual life is creating the openness where love can rush in. It's like like um, the difference in, in pre like a pressure differential. You create the vacuum and love will rush in. Oh, that's the spiritual life. It's just continuously opening that poverty. The, go the gospel we just heard, how perfect is this gospel, right? The Lord's just been teeing us up this week. Luke 15, man, right on the heels of the prodigal son, just so good. This gospel that we're so familiar with that uh, Jesus... He's attracting those who know they're sick. He's attracting the, the poor, the broken, the wounded. He's attracting those who know that they, they know that they need a savior, right? We've been reflecting on that line from St. Augustine, those who are lost in their passions are less lost than those who have lost their passions. Like those who, who are lost in their passions are the ones who are rushing towards him. I did a mission trip um, a few mission trips uh, to Honduras. Once I was a I was a translator for a medical mission brigade, and we would get up really early and drive up to these villages, and um, the the people would be already lined up. They would turn like a you know a school gymnasium or some area as, into a makeshift hospital, and the people have been have been lined up for hours. Some of them days because they knew doctors were coming, and they might not see a doctor again for a year, two years, five years the rest of their lifetime, they lined up because they knew healing was going to be there, right? That's what's going on in this gospel. These sick, these wounded, these, 
sinners are attracted to the healing. They're attracted to Jesus. And what we see in Luke, what he's doing is he's lifting the veil of the bridegroom's heart. He's just saying, I, I'm, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And, the, and the, the, uh, the Pharisees are just totally blind. They're just totally blind. Because the prodigals are running home and they just can't stomach it. They just can't stomach it. Uh, it's so sad. So Jesus, he addresses this parable to, it says he addresses this parable to them. Let's be very clear about who the them is. It's not the tax collectors and the sinners. He's addressing this parable to, the, to the, those who think that they're all good to go. He's, addre- he's addressing this parable to the self-righteous, to the Pharisees, those who think they've perfected themselves. And he asks the question, what man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, would not leave the 99 in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it. He, try and hear that with like fresh ears like you've never he- heard it before. So you, you're, 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 you got a shepherd. He's got a flock of 100 sheep. And you lose one. You got 99 perfectly healthy sheep. They're perfectly healthy. You've lost one. You're down to 99%. Are you really going to go after the one? Does that make sense? to leave the 99 and go after the one? Yes or no? No. No. Right? Like, the rhetorical question that Jesus is asking, what man among you would do this? The answer is, nobody would. Right? Like, nobody does that. Nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. Where I grew up, 99% was an A-plus every day of the week. Like, that's a a great grade. That's a passing, amazing grade. 99% is a great grade. What man among you would do this? Jesus. Nobody would be that stupid to do that. Nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. But he does. He does. Why? Because there is no 99. They are all the one. There is no perfect righteous flock that he's like, all right, you guys are really good. These guys suck. I got to go get them, right? These stupid sheep. That's not what he's doing. There is no 99. There is no 99. There's only the one. Like, our God doesn't see crowds, he sees individuals. Like, this instance, this whole example of the the flock of sheep, God doesn't see, like, the flock of humanity. He sees you, and he sees you, and he sees you, and he sees you. Like, when, when Jesus was asked the question, you know, like, will many be saved? And he kind of sidesteps it and says, well, don't, like, don't even worry about that. Just you strive, you strive to enter. Like, the economics, the number thing for Jesus, like, one sheep lost is one too many lost. Because it's not just an instance of the species. It's you. You're a mortal soul. You with the kapox day. You who can respond to God in a way that no other creature, no other planet, no other galaxy can. You are a unique, unrepeatable, irreplaceable voice in the choir who can only sing your note, and that if it's missing, the angels are, like... So disappointed. No one's going to replace your note in the heavenly choir. No one will. No one can sing your yes to God except you. Which is why one sheep lost is one sheep too many. So he goes after it. He goes after it. Now here's the question. Why would a sheep get lost from a herd? Why would a sheep get lost from a herd? Because it's a stupid, bad sheep. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. 
I was I went to the Holy Land uh, 2017 on a pilgrimage with 10 other priests. It was so awesome. And when we were there, we actually, while walking through uh, Galilee, we ended up like seeing actual Galilean shepherds. Unbelievable. So awesome. Anyway, our tour guide was talking to us. He had us read uh, this, this passage. And he was telling us that... Uh, you know, sheep are herd animals. We know that. They're herd animals. Um, and, he, and this is what he explained. I thought it was brilliant. It blew my mind. Like many things did on that trip. I think my face for about two weeks was just like, like just like in awe. He goes, sheep are herd animals. If, if one is separated from the herd, it wasn't just being like, like belligerent and angry and teenage angsty sheep like oh, I'm doing my own thing I'm gonna go eat that grass over there <laughs> if he's separated from the herd it's because he got sick or he got hurt or he got attacked that's why sheep get separated from a herd because they got sick or because they got hurt or because they got attacked like, it wasn't just because the sheep was like, just like, forget you, 99. Something went wrong. Something happened. Something happened. That's really significant. Let that just sit, sit in your heart for a second. Like, Jesus, right? We're the sheep. We're the one. He's coming after us, not because, like, like, I told you to clean up your room. I told you to stop sinning. I told you to get your act together. Now get back down here. We're going to dinner. He's coming after the one, he's coming after you, not because you're bad, not because you're stupid, not because you're belligerent. He's coming after you because, because somewhere along the line, you started eating something because you thought it was going to satisfy, and it didn't, and it's made you sick spiritually. Somewhere along the line, something happened to you in your story you got terribly hurt, terribly hurt. Somewhere along the line, someone said something to you that was just so awful. You were attacked. He's coming after you, not because you're bad, but because you're sick or wounded or hurt or attacked. That's who he is. And this tour guide of ours, he was telling us that because sheep are herd animals, when the sheep is separated from the flock, one of the physiological things that happens to it, it will just, it will just lie down where it is. It just lies down. And its heart begins to race really fast. Because of, I mean, I guess sheep can get anxiety, I suppose, but it's like, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So the sheep's heart is pounding. It's racing really, really fast. And it's really dangerous. The sheep could die because of that. And so when the shepherd comes along, he comes after the sheep, and it says, he lifts the sheep on his shoulders. You ever wonder, like, why, why is the shepherd? That's probably pretty hard. Like, and that's an animal that's kind of gross. Like, do you, want, do you want to do that? Like, why don't you just, like, put a leash on it or something? No, no. The tour guide was explaining to us, the shepherd puts the sheep on its shoulders, so the butt's here and the head's here, and he takes the sheep's head, and he presses it down so the sheep's head is pressed against the shepherd's chest so the sheep can hear the shepherd's heartbeat so that the sheep can hear the rhythm of the shepherd's heartbeat to slow his heartbeat down I need you to hear my heartbeat 
to come into rhythm with mine. This is what's going to bring you life. I'm going to save you. I'm bringing you back. You are mine. You are precious to me. This is what we're invited into. This is the intimacy. Like, like John the Beloved, to press our ear to the breast of Jesus. To hear the beat. To hear the words. To hear the whispers. To hear the, the affirmation, the blessing, the love. All of it. The tenderness that comes beating out of that heart. Gushing out of that heart for you. Like there, we, Not only are we the lost sheep, but there's in our story, there's all these lost sheep little versions of us, little lost sheep that all along the way like we just kind of laid down. That's what we've been talking about, that Jesus wants to enter into those places to hoist us over his shoulders and to have us listen to what his heart is saying to us in those moments. Like I need you to hear my heart when you weren't picked for that dodgeball team in third grade when you were picked last. I need you to hear my heart, what was beating in my heart for you then. It seems so little. It seems so little, but the truth is you, you were hurt and you just laid down there. And what we do to ourselves is we just say, like, I just got to pick myself up. I got to be strong. I got to keep moving. And all, like, all the while, like, the sheep is down back there. And Jesus is like, like I, I got I to run. I got to go to him. I got to go to her. Like things will change dramatically in your heart and your relationship with Jesus when we when we begin to look with love and kindness and curiosity. Someone said the other day, holy curiosity. When we begin to look with love and kindness, gentleness and holy curiosity at the little parts in us, the little sheep. Not only us as the sheep, but all those little moments of our lives stretching back where we just like laid down. When we begin to look at and treat those moments with kindness and mercy and gentleness instead of with contempt and anger, like that's a liability that makes you weak, that makes you unlovable, that makes you pathetic, that makes you dependent. When we begin to like love the little parts, oh man, that changes everything. Jesus wants to place us on his shoulders so we can hear his heart beating. That's who he is. He's so good. He is so, so good. Let us enter into the silence here for a few moments. Just invite the Holy Spirit to bring you to wherever like the Lord is trying to bring you in this Mass. Because this Mass is personal. Because again, Jesus doesn't see flocks. He doesn't see crowds. He sees you. His eyes are on you. Amen.